the beautiful and palatial UltimateSportsTalk.com radio studios. Good evening, everyone. I'm Dave Mitchell, and I welcome you to the Ultimate Sports Talk show here this evening for a Thursday night, our weekly get-together where we sit back and talk about the world of sports. And this week, of course, we are going to get into the National Football League, which here in about an hour and a half, We'll kick off with the first game of the season between the defending Super Bowl champion Baltimore Ravens and the hopefuls for this year, Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos. Glad to have you along tonight on the show. We're going to be talking about all of that. Our predictions are coming up in the second half hour for the National Football League. The college football season will continue this weekend. We're going to take a look at the Ohio State Buckeyes, and the big game between West Virginia and Oklahoma. Of course, Johnny Manziel is still acting like a little brat. The Cleveland Indians are still in the Major League Baseball wildcard race. And the Pittsburgh Pirates, after 20 years, will have a winning season. That's all going to happen on tonight's show. But before we get into that, you can join us for tonight's show just simply by emailing us. That email address is dmitch at ultimatesportstalk.com, or you can send us a tweet. That address is at OHBBCoHost, OHBBCoHost. Well, as I said at the top of the show, the NFL is going to open up their season tonight with Denver entertaining the Baltimore Ravens on NBC, and for the first time in five years, you are not going to be able to hear this song. Nope, it's not going to happen anymore. Faith Hill has retired as the opening act for Sunday Night Football. And it's going to start this evening with a new performer taking on the show's theme song. It all started with Pink, followed by Faith, and now it's Carrie Underwood's turn to take on the theme of Sunday Night Football. Stars from the 13 NFL teams are coming together, just like always, to film the music video that goes along with Underwood's rendition. Here's the preview that NBC is allowing, but they are not going to announce the finished version until at the beginning of tonight's game. You can tell right there it's a little bit different from Faith Hill's rendition. But on to the game. For the Baltimore Ravens, tonight's season opener in Denver against the Broncos brings plenty of uncertainty. It started in May when the game was supposed to be in Baltimore as the celebration for winning the Super Bowl. Every year the opening Thursday night game is held in the Super Bowl winning team's city. This year it wasn't because the Orioles were scheduled to have a home game tonight and the traffic situation in Baltimore would be tenuous at best, so the game was moved to Denver. And, of course, the Broncos gladly took it. After an offseason that saw the departure of such key veterans as Ray Lewis, Ed Reed, and Anquan Bolden, the Ravens will be fielding a new-look squad for the first meaningful game of the new season. And there's no telling how the new roster will come together And starting on the road against Peyton Manning and a revenge-minded Broncos team certainly doesn't help the cause. Former Ravens coach and current Fox Sports analyst Brian Billick previews this matchup 
to open the season tonight and other games coming up this weekend. Now, this thing started at 10-point spread. It's down to 8.5. I think Baltimore's going to be better than most people think. Winning on the road, and uh, let me say, I think it's tragic that the Baltimore Ravens don't get to open the season as reigning Super Bowl champs at home. The Baltimore Orioles, who are eight and a half games out. There's 162 games on the schedule, 81 at home. You're telling me you couldn't move one and let the city of Baltimore enjoy this uh, kickoff classic as it's become. Uh, but anyways, it's in Denver. Uh, Denver is the, everybody's choice. Should be a good game. I think it's going to be a closer game than people think. Uh, obviously, with Denver and Peyton Manning coming back with that gifted receiving core he has, you add Wes Welker to it, I think uh, Baltimore's going to be better than people have thought with the loss of Ray Lewis, the loss of Ed Reed, but what they've done to pick up the defensive personnel. Um, I think that defensive personnel with now Elvis Dumerville, who's going to be very motivated against his former Bronco teammates, and Terrell Suggs, who's now healthy, uh, this could give Peyton Manning some problems. But I think, obviously, uh, at home, this is going to be a little bit tough for Baltimore to go in and get that win. Uh, a lot of intriguing games in the NFC. The game I have, Minnesota at Detroit, I think, is one of the big games of the week, if for no other reasons. The pressure on Detroit, Jim Schwartz clearly on the hot seat. Uh, Matthew Stafford's been brilliant the last couple of years with no running game whatsoever. Obviously, with Reggie Bush, that's going to make a big difference. I just don't know how good Detroit's going to be defensively. I think, obviously, Minnesota coming in. AP, it's all about his ability to run the ball. They're going to be solid defensively. Not sure about Christian Ponder. They're all excited about what they were able to do the last four games of the season, the last game in particular when they beat Green Bay. Christian Ponder threw three touchdown passes. Two of them were short little dump-offs. And the third one, when the score was 27-27, to was a pass that easily could have been intercepted and cost them the game. Uh, I'm not sure that he has gotten over the hump yet, but on the road at Detroit should be a huge, huge game. The other one, obviously, Green Bay at San Francisco. This is the one everybody wants to look at, exactly how Green Bay is now going to adjust to San Francisco and the ability of their running quarterback, Colin Kaepernick. They obviously didn't do it. i got to look down at these numbers. Almost 600 yards of total offense. They gave up 323 yards rushing. They gave up 263 to Colin Kaepernick. Now, everybody's talking about how... The read option is what gave them the problem. That wasn't the problem. The problem was they played a lot of two-man. I'm talking about Green Bay now. Turned their back to Colin Kaepernick, and he gashed them. They'll handle the read option better. Everybody seems to think that you're either going to crash your end, force the quarterback to make a quick decision in the read option, scrape your linebacker around the, around the top and let him take the quarterback, or slow play your end up the field. Dom Capers in Green Bay, one of the best defensive coordinators in the league. He's going to have a better plan than he had last year in the playoffs. Uh, again, I think San Francisco may be the best team in the league. It may be a tall order for Green Bay to go into San Francisco and beat them in San Francisco, but it should be a heck of a game. Also, you're going to want to watch that uh, Atlanta Falcons at the New Orleans Saints. How much of an impact is Sean Payton coming back to New Orleans? You can't have any more of an impact on offensively. Drew Brees has been unbelievable the last couple of years, even with... Um, Sean Payton not being there last year and, and not being the play caller the year before. But defensively, I saw this team in the preseason. I don't know how much better Rob Ryan can really make them de better defensively. They were last in the league last year. They gave up better than 7,000 yards. They might be a little bit better, but I don't know that Sean Payton's, the sheer presence of their head coach, can make that much of a difference defensively. Brian Billick from Fox Sports. And, of course, tonight's game, Baltimore at Denver. And starting a six-game suspension tonight for Denver will be linebacker Von Miller for violating the league's substance abuse policy. That's going to be a six-game suspension. But also tonight, Peyton Manning entering this season at age 37. He'll turn 38 towards the end of the year. A lot of people are thinking this could be Peyton Manning's last hurrah. Could it be? Sean King of NBC Sports says, don't think too fast. You know, I think Peyton's a guy actually going to get healthier each year coming from that back surgery. I don't think he was fully healthy last year, and he's talked this offseason about feeling stronger, about being more comfortable with his footwork, feeling like he has more velocity on his fastball. So I still think Peyton Manning has another two, three years remaining. I don't think, however, that he's going to make it to the Super Bowl. I'm not as high on this Denver Bronco team as some others. Well, I've been in Denver during football games a few times, and it is not an easy place to play. When that place gets rocking, 
boy, it's tough to win in. The Ravens proved back in January, though, that they can head into the Mile High City and pull off an upset. Something they're going to have to do tonight, I'm not expecting it. The Broncos are favored by 7.5 points. Take the Broncos and the points in tonight's opener for the NFL season. Now, what else is happening? Let's move to Cleveland, where the Miami Dolphins, who are probably one of the busiest teams during the offseason in the NFL this year, will be in Cleveland to take on the Browns. And the Browns have not exactly had a quiet offseason, not only with hiring a new coach, a new offensive and defensive coordinator, a new owner, a new team president, a new GM, but they stayed with the same quarterback, Brandon Whedon, but they've got a new kicker. Their new head coach, Rob Chudzinski, is ready for his first game as head coach of the Cleveland Browns, which has been a lifelong dream of his. Excited about the opportunity to play the Dolphins. A very good football team from last year. Uh, made a lot of off-season moves uh, to improve their team, and it's going to be a great challenge for us. And you know, we're looking forward to that, and can't wait to get out there on the field. Uh, as you look at Miami, uh, first off, I think they have an outstanding coaching staff. I have a lot of respect for Coach Philbin and his staff. Uh, offensively, they're a West Coast uh, style team. And, uh, you know, they run some no huddle, uh, so there's uh, some things that we'll have to prepare for from that standpoint. They have a talented young quarterback in Tannehill, and you really can see the growth and the progress that he made over the course of last season as well as in the preseason. Uh, he had, you know, he's playing some of his best ball, uh, had a great game against Tampa uh, in the preseason. Uh, Wallace, obviously, Mike Wallace, they picked up in the offseason a dynamic receiver, speed receiver. A big play threat, and then with Hartline and Gibson, that gives them two guys that are excellent uh, receivers, very dependable guys, and a, and a really a good group of receivers. Uh, they have an experienced offensive line. Obviously, Pouncey's uh, one of the best in the game at his position. I know they have John Jerry coming back, so uh, it'll be a good test for us up front. Uh, defensively, it's an outstanding unit on defense. Uh, their defensive line is excellent. Uh, they have a number of guys that uh, that are top-notch players. Uh, Wake, everybody knows about Cameron Wake. Um, Soliai is a force in the middle. And uh, Deion Jordan is going to be back for our game as well. So um, it'll be a, a big challenge for us up front uh, from that side of, this, of the ball as well. Uh, very active linebackers uh, picked a couple guys up in free agency in Ellerby and uh, and Wheeler and uh, those guys are a good group. That front seven uh, is is a very good group. Since 1999, the return of the Browns, they have won only one home opener, and since 1999, they had only one player that had been with the team since the beginning. And that was kicker Phil Dawson out of Texas. Well, Dawson left to go to the San Francisco 49ers during the offseason. And finally, on Tuesday, the Browns replaced him with former kicker Billy Cundiff. The Browns replaced Dawson with Cundiff. And, of course, Cundiff has been with the Browns before, and he's been with the Baltimore Ravens before. So what does Chud say? He says he's completely confident in their new kicker. Well, I'm very comfortable. Uh, you know, Billy was a guy that w- we looked at. Uh, obviously, he had a good workout. Uh, he's, you know, he's played and knows the division. He's played here. Um, you know, he's kicked well in the preseason thus far. Uh, outstanding as a kickoff uh, guy. I think is 60% on his touchback percentage or so. And he's been in a Pro Bowl. So uh, he's a resilient guy who, you know, I have faith. He's on our football team, and I have the utmost trust in him. After an offseason of uncertainty at the quarterback position, Brandon Whedon came out and in the first two preseason games grabbed a hold of the position and was named the starter just prior to the third game. This will be his second year, and not only is he hoping to improve, but he thinks the team is improving also. You know, the teams, we've come a long ways. You know, I think we've added some pieces really to make us stronger. I think we've got uh, a great core of veteran guys that have, you know, kind of set the foundation and, uh, you know, moving forward. And then, you know, I think as far as myself, I think I've gotten better. Um, you know, I think it, it's just, it comes with reps, it comes with experience, and it comes with seeing things for for, for several times. Uh, you just kind of get better each time you get reps, and um, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited. You know, starting year two, I think you know the, the preseason 
you know, we, we did some good things, you know, had a lot to learn from, but I think I'm on track. You know, I'm definitely not pleased and satisfied. I want to keep continuing to get better. But I think uh, that comes with, you know, again, playing and, and studying and keep, turn, you know, keep continuing to learn this offense. Brandon Whedon is carrying the hopes of the city on his shoulders this year. Miami at Cleveland starts at 1 o'clock, and then you can see that on your local CBS station. In other games on Sunday, the New England Patriots will be at Buffalo taking on E.J. Manuel and the Buffalo Bills. Manuel was just named as the starter for the Bills. That's at 1 o'clock on CBS. Tennessee plays at Pittsburgh Sunday afternoon. That's at 1 o'clock on CBS. It'll be a homecoming of sorts at MetLife Stadium in New York where the Jets will be hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And how will it be a homecoming? It's because Daryl Rivas, the cornerback, some people think that he may be the best cornerback in pro football today. He may even be the best defensive player, according to some, in pro football today. will be returning to New York. He was traded to Tampa Bay during the offseason after suffering an ACL injury in Game 5 of last year's season with the New York Jets. But... As he's telling everybody, he's ready to play against his old team. I know these guys. I played against them every day in practice. Um, so I got a, I got a bunch of tips. <laughs> I got a bunch, bunch of tips on those guys. So, uh, and, and the good thing about it, um, I've been sharing them, you know, with our secondary, telling Leonard uh, tips about these guys, telling uh, Jonathan Banks, uh, telling uh, Deshaun about it, and Mark as well. So, uh, I think this uh, we, we, we will come in in this game real comfortable. We, we really will, uh, just from the uh, experience I had there and knowing these guys. When a player comes from another team, um, you know, the, you know, Coach Selly is, is asking a couple questions about our defense. Uh, you know, what are the base calls or, or some things, and you know, I'll spill them. I'll spill the beans <laughs> uh, and, and let them know um, what we used to run and, and what things uh, Coach Ryan might do. So. Um, it is. It's almost. It's almost like stealing, a little bit, and um, that's what you got to do. You take the information and, and you pass it. Um, you pass it to, to the offensive coordinator. Daryl Rivas and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers going to MetLife Stadium to take on the Jets at one o'clock on Fox Sunday afternoon. In other games, Atlanta will be at New Orleans. Boy, what a big opener there! Sean Payton will return, and we'll hear from. Coach Payton coming up in our predictions in the second half hour. That's at 1 o'clock on Fox at the Mercedes-Benz Super Bowl. Everbank Field in Jacksonville, Florida will be hosting the Jacksonville Jaguars and the Kansas City Chiefs. That's at 1 o'clock on CBS. Seattle will be at Carolina. Seattle going from the West Coast to the East Coast to open up the season. That's at 1 o'clock on Fox at Bank of America Stadium. Also, Cincinnati will be at Chicago taking on the Bears for a 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS at Soldier Field. Also at 1 o'clock, a big matchup in the NFC. Minnesota will be at Detroit. That's at 1 o'clock on Fox at Ford Field in Detroit. And, of course, Terrell Pryor will get his second start in the National Football League. He won the starting quarterback's job for the Oakland Raiders, and he'll be traveling to Indianapolis just about 90 miles up the road from where he made his name in college football at the Ohio State University to take on the Colts and Andrew Luck. That's a 1 o'clock kickoff on CBS at Lucas Oil Stadium. And CBS's Jason Lockenfora discusses Terrell Pryor being the Raiders quarterback. Yeah, I don't know who he's throwing the ball to either. And can Darren McFadden stay healthy at all to run the ball? they got big questions there, and I think they're the worst team in the NFL, uh, unfortunately, for, for Coach Allen, um, because I think heads will probably roll there at the end of the year, if not sooner. But they had to do this. He's exciting. Uh, Matt Flynn did not get it done, couldn't show that he was a game manager in the preseason. And, look, the, the highs will be pretty high with Terrell Pryor. He has a unique skill set. He'll do some interesting things. They need to try to be interesting and, and not just bad and boring, but the lows will be pretty low as well. And I suspect that uh, – his production will oscillate wildly. Well, with that new read option offense that everybody seems to be playing in the NFL, is there a better quarterback to run that offense than Terrell Pryor? Well, he can run, throw, and he is a big guy. Oakland and Indianapolis, 1 o'clock Sunday on CBS. Also, in the late afternoon games, it will be Arizona at St. Louis. That's at 425 on Fox from the Edward Jones Dome. 
and Green Bay at San Francisco. What a shootout there. That's going to be a great game. 425 on Fox at Candlestick Park in San Francisco. This will be the last year for Candlestick Park, by the way, where the 49ers call their home. And on Sunday night, where Carrie Underwood will be singing the second rendition of her Sunday night football, that's at 8.30 on NBC. The New York Giants will be in Dallas. That's a big NFC Eastern Division battle. The Giants taking on the Dallas Cowboys. Coming up on Monday, there's two Monday night games. Remember, on the opening weekend, they always play two Monday night games. And the first game, of course, is going to be the Philadelphia Eagles with new head coach Chip Kelly at Washington and a recuperating quarterback in Robert Griffin III. And, of course, after hearing about his ACL injury from the playoff game last year, right up through this opening game where he has not played any preseason action, RG3 proclaimed himself ready to go last Thursday, and he told the media yesterday he's still ready for action. Uh, it's going to be tough. Um, I don't think there will be any tears. If there are, there will be tears of joy, but uh, it's just been a long journey. And it's been an adventure. It's been fun. You don't necessarily want to go on the journey that I had to go on uh, this off season, but uh, you try to enjoy it along the way and, and hit those milestones. So to come out of that tunnel uh, with the team, uh, Monday night's going to be a, a great moment. I think everyone's anticipating that I'll be rusty, but that's not the way I think, and that's just not how I'm built uh, to think. So uh, those guys know I'll lean on them, and uh, I think they're ready to make plays. I think uh, everybody's ready to go out and be explosive and be dynamic. You know, the mental reps, is a, it's a funny joke, but, um, you know, leading the league in mental reps, but it's, it's the truth, and there's, there's more ways to do it than just standing out there on the field and watching. You know, it's, it, it involves watching film, you know, knowing your offense inside and out, and uh, being out this offseason is what helped me uh, do that, learn the offense inside and out. Uh, you know, like Coach said, it's like speaking a new language. Um, now it's I'm fluent. I'm fluent in Redskins offense. How soon do you think you wind up learning how to slide, how to get down in time? Monday night. <laughs> I mean, you guys have been talking to me about it for eight months. So I, think, I think it's ingrained in my head now. I'll be, I'll be getting down on Monday night. It will be interesting to see just how fast the Philadelphia Eagles will run their offense under Chip Kelly. That game kicks off at 6.55, almost 7 o'clock on ESPN, Monday night Philadelphia at Washington, and then at 10.20 on Monday night. It's the Houston Texans in San Diego taking on the Chargers. Many feel Houston may be the best team in the National Football League this year. That's a look at what's going on in the NFL. We're going to have our predictions coming up in the second half hour. I'm Dave Mitchell on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk Show. Let's switch to college football right now. And, of course, when you talk about college football, where's the first place you have to go? To Texas A&M. For the continuing saga, the days of our lives, with Johnny Menzel, who now has a new cover story, and that is he's on the cover of Time Magazine. The magazine's cover story makes a case for paying college athletes with recent debacles regarding Manziel allegedly receiving money for signing autographs. This piece is very timely. The NCAA and Texas A&M determined that Manziel didn't take any money, but he did serve a first-half suspension for an inadvertent violation of NCAA rules in last week's season opener against Rice. In the story, Time asks why Manziel and other college athletes shouldn't be paid, which is the ongoing question that's been actually going on for several years now. This week's issue hits the stands tomorrow, and of course, Manziel made a joke of that, being benched by his coach Kevin Sumlin late in the third quarter after receiving an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for taunting Rice players. And Greg Doyle of CBS Sports with Tracy Wolfson says Manziel is out of control and went too far in the opener. Yeah, A&M fans will tell you no, but they're biased, so you can't listen to them. You can listen to me, and what I'll tell you is that we have a Heisman Trophy winner, a sitting Heisman Trophy winner, got suspended for the first half of the first game and couldn't make it out of the second half without getting benched by his coach. Um, that's too far. When you have a player that is bigger than the program, and I don't really think there's been a time in, in history that we can really remember something like this in, in college, what do you do from here? What would, what would be your suggestion? 
Well, sitting him down for half a game didn't teach him anything as far as humility, uh, class, grace. I mean, look, they, he was taunting Rice, for heaven's sake. Uh, they're up 24 in the fourth quarter against Rice. I don't even know what league Rice is in, no offense, Rice. And you're taunting Rice from your SEC perch? Um, he hasn't learned a damn thing. Um, want to make him learn in the future? I don't know. He, he's a guy that, because of his power and his economic impact, he's going to have to bottom out on his own. Um, and it hadn't happened yet. How are the Aggie fans reacting? There is one fan that is taking more of a liking to him. I don't know if you saw Ravens quarterback Joe Flacco, who in an interview said, I don't know if I'll be too popular for this, but I don't know how I really felt about Johnny Manziel. But I feel like now everyone hates him. He's quickly becoming my favorite player in college football. Did you get that sense? How are Aggie fans reacting to all of this? Well, first of all, about Joe Flacco, I need to see his Wonderlick score because that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Here's a guy. I'm going to decide to like this guy for no other reason than everybody else doesn't. Brilliant, Joe. Brilliant. Um, in Aggieland, they're torn. They're, it, it's not 50-50, but it's not unanimous. There's a lot of folks down there that are tired of his act, tired of him embarrassing the school, bringing negative publicity. There, there are some of them, but you know how it is with fans. By and large, he's our guy. He's winning games for us, and he's fun to watch. Um, and, and so, they're, by and large, they're okay with him. As I said last week, Menzel is acting like a spoiled brat. Now, he's a kid that always got his way, pouts or cries when he didn't. That's the way he appears. Certainly, there was no proof that Manzel was paid for the autograph sessions, and the NCAA really didn't want to find any proof. The Miami investigation, the Ohio State investigation, the Oregon investigation, and even the USC investigation a few years ago went longer than the NCAA looked into Manziel and this ordeal. They didn't want to find anything, they didn't try to find anything, and they didn't find anything because they didn't want to ruin next week's game between Texas A&M and number one ranked Alabama. And that moves us right into the... Top 25 rankings for this week, and the AP rankings and the USA Today rankings are pretty much different. Three teams received first place votes. In the AP rankings, it was Ohio State, Alabama, and Clemson, with Alabama garnering 58 of the first place votes of the 60. Oregon moved over Ohio State into the number two spot, with Ohio State dropping to three, even though they did get a number one vote. Clemson, number four, Stanford, five, South Carolina, six, Texas A&M, Louisville, LSU, and Florida State round out the top ten. Now, in the USA Today poll, Alabama, again, got 58 first-place votes, but unlike the AP poll where there's 60 voters, in the USA Today poll, there are 62 voters. Ohio State got three votes for first place, but they finished in second. Oregon third, Stanford fourth, Clemson fifth, South Carolina sixth. Texas A&M got the other first place vote. They're number seven. Then rounding out the top ten, Louisville, Florida, and Florida State. What games are powerhouse matchups this weekend? Well, Fox Sports college football expert Petros Papadakis and Jill Arrington go over this weekend's big games, including Michigan and Notre Dame, and that's one of the big games in Ann Arbor this weekend, but they're going to start out with Georgia trying to rebound from their loss to Clemson just a week ago, and they are going to be hosting South Carolina on Saturday. First of all, it was cool because at least that Georgia-Clemson game was a great game. A long time talking about it. Clemson came out looked more like an SEC team. Their stars shone brightly, and let's be honest. So did Georgia's. And how are they going to get over it? Well, they know how to do it. They've been getting over big losses for years. I mean, that's what it is. And I don't like how their fan base rises up like the tide to swallow their great coach, Mark Rick, who's given them so much success. But they do every single time Georgia loses a big game. They're drowning in their own tears. That being said, they have revenge on their minds and a bounce back on their minds against South Carolina. A lot of question marks about them. Their leadership, Jadavion Clowney, his fitness, Steve Spurrier, does he have complete control of this team and he's playing two quarterbacks? I like Georgia in this game. They're the ones that have something a little bit more to prove. Aaron Murray's going to win a big game eventually here, and Todd Gurley's one of my favorite players of the NCAA. All right, big rivalry week two, Notre Dame and Michigan, both won over cupcake opponents. 
But what do you think? Who has the better chance here to make a statement in this game? I like Notre Dame because they have more of a mentality. Do you understand what I'm saying? They have their physical mentality back. Brian Kelly brought it back. They lost it under Charlie Weiss. Just like Michigan lost their physical mentality under Rich Rodriguez. They've retrieved it under Coach Hoke, but not in the same way that Notre Dame has. This will be a back-and-forth, raucous football game. It's in the big house. But I think Notre Dame is the more led football team right now. Are they going to miss the leadership of a guy like Manti Teo? Yes, but they still have that great mentality that they developed last year. They know how to win close games. I just think Notre Dame is more there than Michigan is right now, and I think they're going to win the football game. Four more top 20 teams have to go on the road. Who do you think is in the most danger of getting upset this week? Oregon's going to be okay in Virginia, though. Mike London is a really good football coach. They're fine. Oklahoma State is going to be fine in San Antonio. Texas at BYU is a little concerning for Texas, even though BYU doesn't look as dynamic as they were last year. Remember, Notre Dame went to BYU last year and really had some trouble. That David Ash looks like a better player. I don't worry about any of those teams. I worry about Florida against your alma mater, yes. Jill. There yes, you go. Yes, the Duke is loose. Yes. Watch out. Duke Johnson, a very good running back. Jill thinks he's better than he is. No, but, I think no, he's the best. No, he's very is. good. But – I like Miami in this football game. Really? I just think they have more going on than people believe. I think they have a chip on their shoulder. I think they're well coached. And Florida looks like Will Muschamp's Florida team. I mean, they're not very dynamic offensively. They don't have as much to offer going down the field wide receiver-wise. Driscoll's just okay running the offense right now, but they're very good defensively. I think it'll be a great game. Let's put it that way. Florida's in the most trouble. I'm not saying Miami's going to win. I take, I take that back. In last Thursday's win over North Carolina, South Carolina Gamecock star defensive lineman and Heisman Trophy candidate Jadavian Clowney was criticized for being out of shape and taking off some plays in the 98-degree temperatures against the Tar Heels' hurry-up offense. However, former Heisman Trophy winner out of The Ohio State University, Eddie George of Fox Sports Now, disagrees. I think he'll be fine. And what most people don't realize is, listen, Last Thursday, he played in 98-degree weather. He was playing up against an up-tempo offense, meaning that they were getting the ball off every 13 seconds. So it's tough to go full speed for about 90 plays in the game. So I don't fault him as much. I understand because you need time to rest during, the, during playing up against a team like that during this, type, during this time of, year, of the year. So... I think he'll bounce back just fine. It's going to be a slower-paced offense. He's heard the criticism. He's going to bounce back, have an explosive game possibly, and, and find himself right back in the talk for the Heisman Trophy. I like the Georgia Bulldogs to, to bounce back. They're feisty enough. I really love their young but aggressive defense. And they'll pull off a victory, but it's going to be a close one. could be a high-scoring one, like 31-24. That game is going to be at 430 on Saturday afternoon, South Carolina at Georgia. But what we're concerned about here in the Buckeye State is Ohio State. Number three, depending upon what poll you look at, but they're number three in the Associated Press poll, they're going to be entertaining San Diego State at 3.30 in the horseshoe. After beating Buffalo last week 40-20, to Urban Meyer talks about the Aztecs and his penchant for going for two after touchdowns in last week's game. Arguably the best tailback we'll face all year uh, was injured, I believe, in the first quarter. Um, this Eastern Illinois team played outstanding and gave up, uh, you know, scored some big plays on against man coverage. Uh, other than that, you know, it, um, I see a defense. It's an odd stack, three-three-five defense that they blitz, bring per, uh, high percentage of pressures. Their movement, their chaos defense that play really hard with some good players. In offense, I think they kind of stepped out of their comfort zone a little bit. They just threw, a, I want to say, 63 times or something like that. Uh, that's, you know, I've coached against uh, Rocky Long before. Excellent football coach, tough. Uh, guys play real hard, and, and they won, I believe, nine games last year, which is not surprising for his coach teams. I kind of I went to the Fiesta Bowl and I watched the Oregon do that in the, early in the game, and I just know that drives defensive coaches. You know, you have to work on it, and it's also a chance to get some cheap points. And so I want we worked all we've been working on that since last February, and so uh, it worked pretty good. And so uh, I don't know how often we'll do that. I, I don't know that.
Well, as Myers said, it did work pretty well against Buffalo, but the more teams look at it, they're going to be, have to worry about it, and they're going to have to study for it. Just something to take their minds away from something else that Ohio State might be able to do. That game's at 3.30, San Diego State in the horseshoe against the Buckeyes. Elsewhere in the top 25 on Saturday, number two, Oregon, will be at Virginia. Number four, Clemson, entertains South Carolina State. Number five, Stanford, opens up their season finally on Saturday night against San Jose State. It will be number seven, Texas A&M, at home against Sam Houston State. That's at 7 o'clock in a tune-up for Alabama next week. Number eight, Louisville, coming off a big win on Monday. They will be playing against Eastern Kentucky. LSU entertains UAB. It's Florida playing at Miami, and that happens at noon. And before the game last week, the Florida Gators and their head coach, Will Muschamp, had to suspend six players before the game. He did not like the coverage that the media gave this activity that the players did and the subsequent suspensions. You guys can write whatever you want to say about me. You can say I'm a bad football coach. You can say I'm a bad dad. I'm a bad husband. I'm a bad person. You you really can say anything you want to say. That's your opinion. You can talk about our offense, our defense, our special teams. You can talk about our coaching staff. You can talk about our administration. That's your opinion, and you're entitled to that, and that's fair. When you take a shot at a kid and it's inaccurate and it's written inaccurately, I got a problem. So I can be accused of a lot of things and being overprotective of our players for accurate information. I'm really pissed off, and it's wrong. Well, Will Muschamp has spent most of the offseason being ticked off at the media, Urban Meyer, and just about everybody. And why? Because he's not that good a football coach. I'm not going to say anything about his fathering. I'm not going to say anything about him being a bad husband. But he's not a very good football coach. He's one of these ESPN media darlings that they propped up to be the heir apparent to Mac Brown at Texas. It didn't work out there. He got impatient, decided to go to Florida when Urban Meyer left there. And what happened? Well, this is what you get. Will Muschamp upset at the world. Elsewhere in the top 25, it is Oklahoma State playing at University of Texas out of San Antonio. That's at noon. Of course, the big game on ABC Saturday night, it's Michigan entertaining Notre Dame. Texas will be at BYU. That's another big contest. Here's another one. Big contest. Number 16, Oklahoma, playing against West Virginia. That's at 7 o'clock. Fox Sports' Charles Davis previews this matchup. Last year they had a terrific shootout. 50-49 to 49 was the final, but West Virginia's lost a lot of that firepower on offense. Geno Smith has gone to the pros. Tavon Austin gone to the pros. Stedman Bailey gone to the pros. But head coach Dana Holgerson and his high-powered offense continue to feel like that they can roll. Let's see what they can get done against a very stingy Oklahoma defense, which is retooled after some hits they took last year. They want to play with their strength, too. Their linebackers, Corey Nelson, Frank Shannon, they're terrific on the field. But the big news out of Norman in the offseason was they made a switch at quarterback. They had to because Landry Jones, their four-year starter, was gone. But many thought Blake Bell, the belldozer, would win the job. Trevor Knight got the job and looked very good in an opening night performance against Louisiana Monroe. The Sooners are a little bit different, but they're awfully salty for a team that won 10 games last year. They're tired of being questioned. West Virginia, on the other hand, started out so well last year and faded down the stretch. They have some questions that they want to answer. Should be a lot of fun on Saturday night in Norman. No matter what you think about Bob Stoops and the Oklahoma Sooners, and if they are championship contenders or not, Stoops still says the Sooners are ready for this outing on Saturday night. On the West Virginia here, a conference game at home. Um, you know, we had a, a barn burner a year ago, 50 to 49. So uh, our guys uh, understand, you know, the challenge of of uh, facing these guys. So uh, you know, we're they've only had one game as well. So it's a little bit different to have a conference game this early in the season. But uh, because of the bye weeks through the rest of the year, this kind of worked out best for us. I'm sure with them agreeing to play it, it must have worked out. Uh, schedule-wise, uh, the best for them as well. So uh, it'll be another challenge. Uh, Dana Holgerson and his group do a great job, um, you know, over there. So it'll be a big challenge here getting ready this week. We came out of the game healthy. Uh, that was positive. And uh, so we're looking forward to playing a conference game here this week.
There's three Big Ten teams that are challenging for the conference championship. Northwestern coming off of their win against Cal last Saturday night. They're number 19 in the country. We'll play at home against Syracuse. Wisconsin, big winners last week. They entertained Tennessee Tech at noon. And Nebraska squeaked by Wyoming. Hey, don't overlook the Wyoming Cowboys this year. They're a solid football team. And Nebraska will be playing Southern Miss at 6 o'clock on Saturday night. Baylor entertains the Buffalo Bulls at Khalil Mack. What an outstanding linebacker for the Bulls. TCU will host Southeast Louisiana. And the final game in the top 25, Southern Cal is at home for a Pac-12 matchup against Washington State on Saturday night. That's a look at the top 25 college football schedule for Saturday. We're going to take a look at Major League Baseball and our predictions for the NFL coming up after this timeout. For the first time since the death of Dylan Michael, Cincinnati is back in the hunt for a pennant. To help get there, they sent two minor league pitchers to Seattle today for former all-star pitcher Randy McDonald and minor league slugger Matt Wolf. McDonald had Tommy John surgery last year and, if healthy, could greatly enhance Cincinnati's rotation. Little is known about Wolf, although his stats suggest he may help the team offensively. Last at bat, a novel by Mark Donahue. Available at Joseph A. Beth, Barnes & Noble, and Books and & Company. And you can also get an autographed copy of Mark Donahue's book, Last at Bat, soon to be made into a major motion picture, just by simply ordering your copy here at ultimatesportstalk.com. You can order it on the right side of the homepage. Click and get your copy today. I'm Dave Mitchell. Thanks for joining us on tonight's Ultimate Sports Talk show, and we are going to move on to Major League Baseball because the pennant races are heating up and there's only three weeks left to go in the regular season. And let's take a look at what's happening, first of all, in the American League. Detroit winning the Central Division comfortably over the Cleveland Indians by six and a half games. The Boston Red Sox lead that Eastern Division by five and a half over Tampa Bay. And out West, it's Oakland and Texas tied for the top spot. They're both 80 and 59, but comfortably ahead of the Los Angeles Angels, 15 and a half games ahead of the Angels. In the National League, it is in the Eastern Division. Atlanta winning by 14 games over Washington in the East. Pittsburgh just a game in front of St. Louis in the Central. But Pittsburgh, by virtue of winning their 81st game on Tuesday night, has assured themselves for the first time in 20 years of finishing with a at least a break-even record. One more win will give them a winning record for their first season in 20 years. The Reds are three and a half games back and out west. It's the L.A. Dodgers winning that division by 12 and a half games over Arizona. Let's take a look at the wild card standings in the American League. It is Oakland and Texas. Of course, they're tied for the top spot in the West. They're also tied for the top wild card spot. Tampa Bay has the second wild card spot sewn up right now. They're two and a half games in front of the New York Yankees and three and a half games in front of the Cleveland Indians. And one of their stalwart players, Jason Kipnis, is happy to be playing some meaningful games in the month of September. It's great. You know what, when you come into the year, uh, and we, we've been struggling a little bit for the last week or so, uh, but if you were said that, hey, we're three games out of a playoff appearance uh, going into September, we would have taken it. We wanted to be playing important games this month, and uh, that's what we're doing right now. Jason, it's Mitch. Let me ask you, how important is a guy like Terry Francona that's been there and done that in one World Series to have as your manager at this point in the season right now? It gives you someone that you have no hesitation in following. Um, the fact that he has two rings, the fact that he has that experience um, gives him the credibility, gives him the reassurance that uh, you take his word for what it is, you trust him on issues. If you have any questions, he's, everybody knows he's one of the most approachable guys. So he's a, he's a leader that's not... Not out in front of you. He's on the he's on the battlefield with you. So he's a great guy to have. Over four innings from your bullpen tonight. They gave up just one hit. This bullpen has been getting the job done all year long for your team. Are they overlooked? You think nationally? A little bit, a little bit. I mean, we've had the the bullpen mafia of years past. I think, and uh, they've made some national coverage. But you know what? We got some young guys coming out there that are logging some uh, important innings for us. Um, a lot of big guys, and just like today, it was a 4-4 game after the fifth, and we shut them out the rest of the way, and that's a big win for us today. Hey, Jason, are people coming out to Cleveland now? They coming to the game? I, I hope they start to. I hope they start to. Um, 
You know, we know we love having them. Um, we can't say much about them, but we know we love the ones that are coming out and supporting us, and we can't worry about it, so we just got to play hard for the ones that do come. Well, the problem is the Indians aren't drawing, and why aren't they drawing? Because the media is more concerned with the Cleveland Browns than they are the Cleveland Indians right now. In the National League, in the wild card chase, it is St. Louis with the top wild card spot, two and a half games in front of the Cincinnati Reds. So really three teams out of the Central Division in the National League will make the playoffs because the Reds are six and a half games in front of Washington and seven in front of Arizona. Major League Baseball announced their playoff schedules this week. The two wild card games will be on October 2nd. The National League Divisional Series game will begin on October 3rd, while the American League Divisional Series will begin on October 4th. The National League Wild Card game will take place first, followed by the AL Wild Card game. Both games will be aired on TBS this year. Well, as I said, we are going to go over our football predictions tonight for the 2013 NFL season, and this should be a very fun thing to do in the last 10 minutes of our show. Yes, it's the 2013 National Football League season ready to kick off in just about 40 minutes in Denver and then in other towns coming near you on Sunday. Let's get into our NFL predictions for this year. And let's start in the AFC Northern Division where I think the Cleveland Browns are going to finish with a 7-9 and record and in last place in the North. In the third spot in that division, it should be Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh 9-7 and this year. I think they'll finish at 9-7. and Baltimore, they've lost a lot. I think they're going to lose tonight. I think they'll finish 10-6 and on the year and in second place, and that means winning the AFC North, the Cincinnati Bengals at 11-5 and this year. The Bengals win the Northern Division, and make the playoffs. In the AFC Southern Division, in last place with a 4-12 mark, the Jacksonville Jaguars. They've done very little to improve their ball club, and I don't think they're going to show it on the field this year. Number three, the Tennessee Titans, another team that has done very little to improve themselves. I think they'll finish with a 6-10 mark. Indianapolis, they'll be an improved ball club, but with a tougher schedule. I see them finishing 10-6, and and they'll be in second place. And the number one team in the AFC South, the Houston Texans, they could very well be the Super Bowl champions this year. I think they'll finish 13-3 and on the season, the Texans winning the Southern Division. In the AFC Eastern Division, boy, with all the problems that the New York Jets have had with Rex Ryan as head coach going to Clemson, big deal. Will Mark Sanchez be the quarterback? No, it's going to be Geno Smith. Oh, wait a minute, it could be Brady Quinn. We're getting rid of Darrell Rivas. Nonetheless, I see the New York Jets plummeting the last place in the Eastern Division with a 4-12 and mark, finishing just ahead of them by a game, the Buffalo Bills at 5-11, and and their rookie quarterback, E.J. Manuel. At number two, the Miami Dolphins. They spent a fortune in the offseason. It's not going to help them that much. They go to 7-9. and And running away with the division this year, the New England Patriots, They'll win it without really breaking a sweat. 11-5 and this year for the Pats and moving into the playoffs. And in the AFC West, here's the way we look at the four teams. The Oakland Raiders behind new quarterback Terrell Pryor. I think they're the worst team in the AFC this year. They're going to finish 3-13 and and in last place in the Western Division. Kansas City, new coach Andy Reid, new quarterback and Alex Smith. Not much of a new attitude. 7-9. and for the first year under Reed and Smith, and they'll finish in third. In the second spot, the San Diego Chargers, 9-7 and seven on the year this year. I see them finishing second. And the number one team in the AFC Western Division, easily running away with the division, the Denver Broncos at 12-4. and four. So that means the top four teams, Houston, Denver, New England, and Cincinnati, The other two teams making the playoffs out of the AFC, I see as the Baltimore Ravens and the Indianapolis Colts. Let's move over to the NFC, where in the Northern Division, I see a team that made the playoffs last year 
finishing in last place this year, the Minnesota Vikings. Boy, did they have a year like no other behind Adrian Peterson. I think people are just going to stack the box this year and force Peterson to beat them and then hope that Christian Ponder doesn't. Well, I see the Vikings finishing at 6-10 and and in last place in the division. The Detroit Lions, I am just not impressed with their head coach, Jim Swartz, or their quarterback, Matt Stafford. I see them finishing at 7-9 and this year and in third place. Who I am impressed with? Mark Trestman of the Chicago Bears, their new head coach. I've always been impressed with the offensive mind this guy has. This is his first coaching gig in the NFL at the age of 57 after winning a couple of CFL titles. I think he takes the Bears to a 10-6 and year. Jay Cutler will be greatly improved. Whether or not his attitude will be, I don't know. But I see the Bears finishing second in that division. And the Green Bay Packers finishing 11-5 and on the year and winning the division behind Aaron Rodgers. Let's move to the NFC Southern Division, where, of course, you've got Carolina behind Cam Newton. I think they're going to finish in last place in that division with a 6-10 and mark. Tampa Bay 7-9. They'll be improved, but not good enough to beat Atlanta or New Orleans. I see Tampa Bay finishing third. I think Atlanta is going to be one of the great teams in the conference this year. But is that going to be good enough to win the division? I say no. I think they'll be 12-4 and in the year and finish second. Behind the New Orleans Saints and the return of Sean Payton as their head coach is going to propel them to a 13-3 and year. And Sean Payton talked with Fox Sports about returning to the sidelines after a year in exile by the NFL. I think the first month, month and a half, is difficult. But after about the first five or six weeks, you find a way to get past it and, and really move forward with some other things that you can be productive with, and I was able to do that. It took a while. How much of the blame for the situation last year do you say, yep, that was me, That's, I own that, that was on me? As the head coach, you take responsibility for your program, and I was very comfortable in doing that and, 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 and very sincere in doing that, and kind of left it at that, but I'm smarter and, and, and wiser having gone through that. Uh, and wiser in a lot of areas. When you get to that five to six week part and you know, all right, I have to move on, I can't sit here and be angry, right. what did you start doing then? Well, my son plays on a youth football team back in Dallas. I was coaching his team and involved in a way that normally, you know, you wouldn't be able to as a head coach. What did you lean on most in that year? Well, I would say, that, you know, there's a handful of people um, you know, Coach Parcells is someone I spoke with pretty frequently. Parcells likes to say that the most dangerous coaches are the ones that are smart and talented and at least slightly angry with a chip on their shoulder. I know you're two out of the three. Do you have any anger left over? Well, <laughs> I answered your question. <laughs> uh, do you sure. feel a little angry? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But it's not something that's driving what we're doing going forward. It's not something we talk about as a team. It's clearly not something that's motivating us. I think we're driven to, to be competitive, to win championships. You know, I think our approach this offseason heading into this year has, has really been more of a rearview mirror. It was important to focus on a direction, and the direction was not going to be out of spite. It was not going to be out of anger or resentment towards the league office and really channeling the focus in the right direction, channeling what our goals are and, and what our what our jobs are. In 2013, Sean Payton will be focused and, and committed. Sean Payton, the head coach of the New Orleans Saints. I see them winning the NFC Southern Division with a 13-3 and mark. Let's move to the NFC East. Chip Kelly, the new head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, big deal. 6-10 and for the Eagles, last place. I see the New York Giants behind Eli Manning finishing 9-7, and seven, and I think they are going to miss the playoffs this year. They'll finish in third place. The Washington Redskins, they're going to finish tied with the New York Giants, but based upon the fact that the Redskins are going to beat the Giants twice this year, they'll finish in second place with that same 9-7 and seven mark, and it will be Dallas winning the division. I think the Cowboys are due. Monty Kiffin, their new defensive coordinator, I think he's built for that team. 11-5 and five mark for the Cowboys. Look for the Cowboys to win the Eastern Division. And out west, 
It's going to be the St. Louis Rams finishing in fourth place. Kellen Clemens better be pretty good to be the backup quarterback behind Sam Bradford for Jeff Fisher and the Rams as they finish 6-10 and on the year and in last place. The Arizona Cardinals, a new quarterback in Carson Palmer, and they'll finish in third place with a 7-9 and record. They've got a new coach also in Bruce Arians. Isn't going to matter. Same old Cardinals. At number two, maybe the two best teams in the NFC, and they're both in the Western Division. At number two, the Seattle Seahawks, 11-5 and on the year. They'll finish in second behind the San Francisco 49ers, who are 13-3 and this year, I predict they'll go. The 49ers will win the Western Division. That means the playoff teams coming out of the NFC, the four division winners are San Francisco, New Orleans, Dallas, and Green Bay. And I predict the two wildcard teams to be Atlanta and Seattle. That brings us to the Super Bowl. For the first time in a cold-weather city, in the Meadowlands of New Jersey, in New York, February 2nd, the snow will be on the ground. We're expecting cold weather, and I see it being the San Francisco 49ers for their second straight Super Bowl appearance against Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos. And I think, as much as this pains me to say, the Denver Broncos will win this contest in a snow game. Believe it or not, I am going with the Denver Broncos this year to win the Super Bowl of the National Football League. Let's look at our predictions. Cincinnati, Houston, New England, and Denver to win the divisions in the AFC. In the NFC, Green Bay, New Orleans, Dallas, and San Francisco. San Francisco to face off with Denver in the Super Bowl, and Denver winning the Super Bowl in a snow game. That's our predictions for the 2013 NFL season. Let's sit back and see how it comes out. Well, you just got to love that NBC music, don't you? Anyway, hey, you know, with our final story tonight, we want to talk about some high school activity. And high schools anymore are trying to get kids away from playing two sports. They really don't like them playing three. And in some of the larger schools, they're staying away from kids playing in two sports. Well, in this Dallas, Texas school, of Episcopal School of Dallas, they are allowing... Armand Fernandez-Pierre, to be a two-sport athlete. And Fernandez-Pierre isn't just an undersized utility player who wanted to suit up. No, he's a 335-pound defensive lineman who is actively recruited to join Episcopal School of Dallas's football squad from, get this, the cheerleading team. Fernandez-Pierre was recruited to the squad by head football coach Clayton Sanders, who saw the team as a unique opportunity to add a massive athletic lineman to his squad. Fernandez-Pierre wasn't a newcomer to the sport. He played football throughout his youth until he injured his neck as an eighth grader and decided it was time to find a new sport. That sport turned out to be cheerleading, where Episcopal School of Dallas coach Eric DeBoa welcomed the Giant with open arms. The lineman enjoyed his time cheering on the sidelines so much that, get this, he was initially reluctant to return to the football field even as the school's varsity coach was actively wooing him. Eventually, he gave in to Sanders with one caveat. He had to be allowed to continue cheering at halftime of the school's football games. So, what did the coach Eric DeBoa do? Sure, come on out. So that is what Fernandez Pierre is doing. In their first game, a 41 to nothing route of Dallas, Texas, John Paul II schooled in the season's game, first game. That's what he did. He didn't come in at halftime. He stayed out at halftime and cheered with the cheerleaders. And that entire process will be repeated on Friday against Brock School of Dallas, Texas as well. And that's going to do it for our show tonight. Boy, we've gone over everything. College football, pro football. The Denver-Baltimore game is going to kick off in just about a half an hour. And don't forget, Mark Donahue and I will be back on Monday evening at 9 o'clock. 
We're going to be talking about the Cleveland Indians and the Cincinnati Reds. So be sure you join us then. That music means that we're on our way out of here. Time for us to sit back and watch a little pro football between the Baltimore Ravens and the Denver Broncos. My pick for the Super Bowl champion for this year. Be sure to join us again next Thursday night, everyone, with the Ultimate Sports Talk Show here at UltimateSportsTalk.com at 7 o'clock. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell, our producer, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. I'm Dave Mitchell. Until next Thursday night. Have a good weekend, everyone. Good night. Good night.